Welcome to See Uncovered, a place where you'll find the stories of proven entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Ashley Henschel. Well, you know, I think that when anybody describes themselves, they have to go back to their childhood self. So I'm uh, a one of 11 kids. I grew up in an inner city, urban area. Um, you know, as I said, the greatest gift in life is, um, you know, the, the, the context you find yourself in. So I had two really supportive parents. Uh, by that, I mean, they, they believe that, you know, you go to the best school you can, we'll figure out a way to pay for it. And uh, I had seven sisters, fierce, tough, and smart. Um, and so you look today at who I am and who I've become. A lot of it was really formed in the neighborhood where you know you had to deal with challenge every day. You had to go home and um, and compete to, for your place. And and that sort of became the hallmarks and the strengths of my career later in life. One of eleven, I can't even imagine. Well, it's, it's, it goes in pockets. You know, mm -hmm. you have simple rules like at dinner time, everybody has to keep one foot on the floor. Um, it just keeps you from, you know, like climbing. And, uh, but, you, it, it, you know, you, it does teach you how to break things into pieces, how to learn to build coalitions. And as I said, you know, a lot of that is the kinds of stuff that you will later become cornerstones of your operating style. What did you do post-grad and how did that shape you into becoming an entrepreneur? My, my dad gave me really good advice. He said, in your early years, you should do everything for experience. Don't say no to you know, relocation, to travel. Don't say no to anything that will give you the experiences. And then when you get into your 30s, you start to narrow the things down. And you start to know what you're good at and what you have a strong interest in. So you play wide for experience, you work your way narrow for expertise, and then by the time you hit 40 years old, if you've done your work properly, you should be one of the best in your field. And if you're one of the best in your field, it doesn't matter the field, it'll be a good outcome. How did your past role as a CTO prepare you for being the CEO at ATP? Well, every role, you like, like, people get a laugh out of this comment. I say, every job I've ever had in my life from delivering newspapers to cleaning up at the stadium all night long while I was in high school and then going directly to school, setting up pins in the bowling alley or the chief technology officer of one of the world's largest companies. Every job at that time in my mind, I viewed as critically important. Like I viewed this as like the most important job that was entrusted to anybody at my age and my experience. So I always had that view, I was so grateful to be able to do that thing at that time that it allowed me to excel at jobs because I just viewed them all as important. Even if it was wearing a dorky uniform for security guard that no one would see in the middle of the night, I just viewed the, every job as being like really important and it allowed me to get the most from it. The second thing I'll say, which is just, you know, everybody's your mentor. Everybody's looking for a network and a mentor. Whether someone's teaching you what to, what to do or what, what not to do, everybody is teaching you something 
And I learned as much from people that I don't admire who were doing things the wrong way as I was the people that were, I admire who were succeeding. Mm -hmm. Everybody's your mentor. Can you talk about your time working at the CEO of at and and the demand the job requires? Yeah, you know, everybody looks for work-life balance and uh, as if there's a scale that says, okay, we're going to put in four hours on this scale and two over here. And at the end of the day, they all merge together. So many progressive thinkers want, you know, to tell you how to separate your life, how to use social media, when to, when to do this, when to do that. I don't think so. I don't, I, your life will never be in balance except through friendships and relationships. So to me, work-life balance is never feeling guilty. It's not that you spent too many hours at work or that you showed up late at work. You know, each one, it's the guilt that you might feel by being late, the guilt you feel of not being home enough, the guilt you feel traveling too much, the guilt you feel working a second job. So the, the work-life balance comes from elimination of guilt. And, and who is the, it who makes you not feel guilty? It's your friends and your family. So putting yourself and surrounding yourself and choosing your friends such that you're never in a position of guilt, it allows you to always be able to put your foot on the accelerator when things need it. So my wife, I remember in my first job, one of my first jobs, I would work till two o'clock in the morning and she would be sitting in the office in a chair reading a book because she wanted to be part of my work. And I never forgot uh, how much commitment that took. She would say, I was just reading a book. But for me, it was like, no, you're actually endorsing my hard work. And then that carries on throughout life when you are going into a new job and you say, you know, honey, I'm going to have to work really long hours. And she'll say, go for it. Like, there's nothing like that idea of not having to feel guilty. The flip side of that formula is if you're friends, your family, your brother, your cousin, your best friend, or your spouse, your girlfriend, your, your guy friend, if, if any of those folks like need, need to put their, their work in, don't ever make them feel guilty. Like, like fight the urge to impose guilt on someone because that's where the balance comes. That's a great piece of advice. What type of leadership style did you use to help boost your I, I tried to be whatever was needed. You know, uh, Michael Jordan in the beginning, beginning of his career won scoring titles and then probably someone told him you're not the best defensive player so then he started winning defensive player of the year and then very quickly someone said you know in order to be great you have to win championships we won six of those so if you're going to win championships you need to start out saying i'm going to be whatever others don't need so as a leader some days people just need a kick in the butt other days they need a hug like they've been busted and so being able to read what's necessary to motivate people, and then also to figure out what's your job. Your job is to be what's missing, not to go in and be who you are and ask everybody to revolve around you. It really more is, you know, what, what does the team need and what, could, what do I need to get done today? And that is commonly referred to as servant leadership, which is, you know, sort of biblical in its origins, but it really is about how can I make everyone else better today? My next question kind of ties into what you just said, but what are some basic skills that you think are most important for a new entrepreneur or CEO to have to be successful? I'll give you the same advice I gave my son yesterday. He's got a new person in. He's the CEO of his own startup now. He's following in my path and he was talking about the struggles with bringing on onboarding a new employee. And I said, you know, like, you should really sit down and start by telling that person you're there for, for their success. 
because if they're not successful, you won't be successful. And, and every element when it's a small team is really dependent upon one another. So the first thing you really need to do is to establish um, in a, any new situation, you know, what can, what can I do? So, so when you look at sports teams, it's very seldom the best athletes are sitting at home and the less best athletes are playing professional sports. The, the entire sporting industry is designed to find talent and get it to the highest level it can be to win. That's the way business runs. Business is about finding talent. So you don't have to stand up and self-promote, raise your hand and say, look what I did. They're going to say, hey, I noticed that every time we put Jane on, on a project, man, it, get, it goes right. It gets done and people are happy. And then every time we put Joe in a situation, Joe's raising his hand and saying, look what I did. But, you know, like I'm not feeling the same results. A business is designed, maybe it, it, it isn't as fast as you'd like, and maybe the feedback isn't the way you'd like. But you just got to, you know, get in, get your job done. Don't raise your hand and worry about self-promotion. Promote others, and the world will find you. And then the world will promote you. And then they'll realize that it, it's your role in the success that's critical. And, and that's where... I think people need, need to be patient enough to keep their head down and get the job done. Can you share what Cresta is and why you wanted to join the board of directors? Well, you know, when I, when I went into retirement, there's a, you know, a wise friend of mine once said, there's no such thing as retirement. You'll keep working. It's just a question of retirement is about doing what you love with people you love. And you, if you, as long as you don't compromise on that. So when I, I knew I'd be dealing with a lot of opportunities to sit on boards, to invest in companies, and maybe to run uh, other companies later. I, I said to myself, there's certain technologies I want to stay on top of, AI and machine learning, um, cybersecurity. And, uh, and so what I wanted to do was just stay current in those fields. So then I looked for companies where I really liked the, the leadership team, and I felt that I could help them. And so if you look at Cresta, it's an AI machine learning company with a 20-something pair of, of founders that really appreciate the help that I can give them. So I learn, they learn, and it's a symbiotic relationship. So it allows me to stay current and then, you know, make sure that if I, if I retire uh, eventually permanently, I don't want to uh, time out. I want to wear out. Like, I, I really do want to. You know, just people say you're not relevant anymore. You know, the old eye roll thing that I don't want that to be me. I just want it to be, you know, me curtailing my hours, but always being sharp and relevant. But congratulations, by the way, for joining the board. Thank you. If you could give a piece of advice to a teenager college version of yourself, what would you tell them today? The most important decisions that you make are not going to be which, which job that you take. It's who you surround yourself with. because most of your success in life is done in groups of teams. And so when you start out and you realize it's going to be a team sport, I probably would have been a little more relaxed and put a little more energy into relationships. If you look today, I still have my, my uh, elementary school neighborhood friends. I have my high school friends. I have my college friends. I have my early career friends. You know, and then you say, wait a minute, actually, that's the missing link for me. Like I don't have that many early career friends because I was trying to run too far too fast. And so when you look and you say, okay, now once I got my head together 
and you go to my mid-career and late career, I have like enormous numbers of friends. And that's where like all of this, this thing that becomes your privilege in life comes from. Because one of them ends up going to a university, wants your kid there for an internship, and you know, and then all of a sudden you woke up and you have a network. So you didn't have to sit here and say, I'm gonna do networking. That's like what you want is friends and advocates because you know that you would do anything for a family member. And the next best thing is, you know, as you get, get somewhere in life that you help one another. And that's really what I probably would have done because if I could look back at my whole life and I'd say, where are my richest friendships? There's this gap of my first five or seven years of work where those, those were, you know, I was running too hard to, to, to be looking at other people. And I look back on that and say, man, you, you screwed up because you probably could have helped those people. And you might have had some benefit along the way, but you have a gap right now, not in your resume. you got a gap in your life. So um, that's the advice I'd give myself. Do you think it will be easier now going forward with the technology to keep close knit relationships? Uh, I think the answer is yes, but it's a double-edged sword because the, the, the bigger your network, the, you could have a sense of importance, but the, the graver your words, the more likely it is to offend someone because you went shorthand on them. I always tell people, would you rather have 10,000 followers or 100 people that fly to your funeral? And, and really, it's the depth versus breadth thing. Like, how many people would give you their last $50, even if it caused conflict at home? And I, I feel like I have friends that would give me their last 50 bucks. I feel like I have people that would fly to my funeral, and I don't really worry about the big numbers. So, so I'm not that active on social media, but a lot of people would say it's amazing how frequently I ping them. I read an article. And it reminds me of someone. I don't just sit and say, oh, that reminds me of them. I just quick send them, uh, just hit them real quick saying, thinking about you, I read this article or whatever. And, um, and so I, I really focus on depth of relationships. I think the tools help, but the tools are a double-edged sword because sometimes you can get sloppy in how you interact. And sometimes those broadcast messages lose the humanity and they get misinterpreted. What are, so my last question is for you, and you kind of answered it, but what are you actively working on today? I was thinking about it the other day. I'm doing 10 different things, and they're so exciting. They fit in three categories, things I'm doing for other people, things I'm doing that are really advanced in technology, and then things I'm doing that are more financial and to make money. So I'll give you a couple examples. You talked about Preston, the board. I'm an investor, and I'm in part of four small boards doing an advisory role for the Vatican right now. I'm doing an advisory role for the White House right now. So it's nothing like the Pope and the President asking for advice to make you feel like you're contributing. And then really importantly, I'm doing a lot of work for uh, the environment and for victims of violence and gangs. So there's a, a family in the south side of Chicago that um, we've been funding a woman's education. She's got three kids. She lost her husband and her brother-in-law to gun violence right outside her house. And she just finished her master's degree. And then I have a, a reformed uh, gang leader from LA that I'm putting through college as well. And so that allows my family to not look at something on television as, and see a theoretical problem. Like every problem that's a problem is a real problem. And so what I wanted to do is have them, and I tell them like, look, because I grew up in an inner city, I don't operate in fear. And so certain people are thinkers and they're trying to figure out 
how to solve problems 10 years from now or have problems not grow up into the world. Um, I try to keep my family focused on the problems. Like don't ever step over a homeless person if you can't, you know, you gotta know their name. Like you, you just, these are, these are real people, these are real problems. And so that's what my family's about is trying to get out of the realm of looking at things as theoretical problems and really deal with practical solutions on the environment, gun violence, gangs, and so on. Thanks for listening to See Uncovered. You can check out more at www.createeveryopportunity.org. Thanks again.